Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. If you're watching this on YouTube and aren't subscribed, make sure and click the subscribe button, like, comment. Let us know what you think about the episode. If there's any questions or a particular guest or topic you want covered, we're always checking comments on YouTube and love to be able to take your guys' feedback and then be able to create future episodes out of them, answering your questions. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Chris from AutoWorks Diesel. Um, he's been on the podcast before. It was late last year we did an episode on being able to protect against gelling in the wintertime and how important maintenance is. And he's been in the industry for 27 years. I wanted to ask him what he sees as far as trends with people basically ruining their Cummins engine from 12 valve to 6-7 Cummins. If there's any particular you know types of things people are doing, lack of maintenance, if there's any upgrades, what kind of problems that he's seen over the years in ways that he would suggest to avoid those. So it's going to be a great conversation. Before we get to it, though, I want to remind you our friends over at Kershaw Knives have a 20% off site-wide discount code for you. Use code 23DIESEL20 at kershaw.kaiusa.com. You get 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you're in the market for a knife, something for hunting, fishing, EDC, anything like that, they've definitely got you covered. They've had a bunch of new releases this year. The latest release that they've had has been the Duralock models, which the blades are made out of D2 steel. There's different shapes that they have um, to the blade, also handle design. So if you need something that's quality, something you could depend on, uh, fit in a pocket, throw in a glove box, have around the house, definitely make sure and head on over to their website, check it out, and use code 23diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. All right, let's get to today's episode with Chris from AutoWorks and talking about what we not, what we need to stop doing to our Cummins engines that's breaking them destroying them or, or causing us to have to replace them chris welcome back to the diesel podcast i'm looking forward to chatting with you today i really enjoyed our last episode we did um i think it was heading into winter time or maybe it was in winter time we we're talking about um you know fuel additives and freezing up and fuel gel and all that sort of stuff and i know a lot of people appreciated the content and i thought today's episode would be really good to chat with you with the decades of experience you have in diesel and seeing a ton of trucks. So welcome back to the podcast. It's great to be back, man. <laughs> I, uh, people are going to know by the title, we're going to be talking about Cummins engines, but I thought, you know, my experience with them is just in what I've owned personally, or, you know, stories I hear from friends or you know people that I know, but you've been in this for 20 plus years, 25 years. Um, yeah, we're approaching 27 now. 27. So you've seen everything from, you know, the 12 valves, VP trucks, common rail stuff. And I was really curious to learn from you. Are there things people need to stop doing with their Cummins engines? And I don't mean like using them or doing upgrades, but things that are damaging them long-term, maybe even short-term that you see either with tuning, injectors, turbos, lack of maintenance, um, transmission stuff, things with clutches, just common things people are coming into AutoWorks Diesel and saying, hey, guys, can you fix my truck? Yeah, um, there's just so many different things. You know, it's a great engine, and 
it also can be like anything, you know, it's built by a machine that was built by man and hand assembled in some aspects. Otherwise the machines hand assemble or not hand assembled, but the machines do a bunch of the assembly, but there are people involved. I've been to the plant and seen the engines going together and I've been around since they were in the uh, showroom new since, you know, late 96. So a long time. Yeah. It's, it's such a popular engine and, and it was the first one I ever had. And recently we've done some episodes on Cummins and well, Duramax power stroke, you know, really all of them. But I've seen a lot of people saying, Oh, just get rid of that Duramax, get rid of that power stroke, go get a Cummins. And I do a lot of episodes with shop owners and I've seen a lot of different shops and there's a lot of Dodge Ram trucks with Cummins engines in there. And I personally don't think it's because the engines suck. I think it's because of either lack of maintenance or maybe doing certain upgrades and it's too much for the stock components, you know, things like that. But I don't really know. So what would you say, we might even have to take this by the engine type, whether it's a, you know, P-pump truck or VP, but what are, what are some of the common things people come in and say, Hey guys, you know, my Cummins is having an issue with it. Well, starting with the 12 hours, because it goes back to that, um, maintenance was critical and people were starting to overlook certain things like especially fuel filter maintenance. And it wasn't so much when the trucks were new, new, because, you know, you'd have the original owner and that original owner would say, hey, you know, I worked my butt off to buy this then $30,000 truck and you know, he'd want to keep it right. So he'd come in for the oil change at 3000. He'd come in for a fuel filter every second or third oil change and he'd get it all done. And then, you know, trucks get older, people want to replace them. And that one goes off to become a used truck and somebody buys it either off the dealer lot or bought it privately from the original owner. And the lack of love was evident immediately because it wasn't something that they busted their butt for to buy for $30,000. It was something they bought after the fact for half that, if not less. So then came, you know, I'll give you a, a for instance, uh, a 12 valve where the second owner went a hundred and some odd thousand miles without touching the fuel filter. And wow. uh, they had it towed in and the, the initial phone call from the customer was I was driving up a hill at night and I saw an orange something in my rearview mirror and I thought it was a vehicle behind me, but it turns out it was coming out of my tailpipe. And what had happened was the fuel filter was so disgustingly bad when we pulled it that some kind of crud went into the actual P pump which ended up into the injector caused an injector to stick open and fire hose that cylinder and that was molten aluminum that was coming out the tailpipe at night on a nice wow. dark hilly road and that destroyed the engine completely cylinder head was destroyed the piston swapped metal with the cylinder wall gouged everything up it was done i think i see how that translates through all these different trucks because you think of the vp44 trucks when they came out you have the new owner they're taking you know pride in it and maintaining it and then it goes through, you know, the, the aftermarket or the secondary market two or three or more times. Same thing with the five, nine common rail, same thing with the early six sevens and just not knowing the maintenance history on them. 
I think is the biggest, it's the biggest unknown when looking for a used vehicle. Was it, you know, cared for by somebody who stayed on top of it? Do they have the receipts or, you know, the, uh, the maintenance book and you can see all of it or, you know, is there even any way to find it? And that's, I think one of the biggest scary parts about purchasing a Cummins truck or any of them really is just that unknown. Yeah. But the biggest thing you can do in your advantage when you do so, as long as you buy a vehicle that seems to start run and be okay, is the very first thing you should do is, you know, basically bring everything to zero and start with maintenance on everything, oil, fuel filters, trans service, every fluid, every filter, everything that can possibly be done as a benchmark to start your maintenance schedule from the zero mark, knowing that, okay, here I am at 150,000 or so miles. At this point, I know where everything's been done from the moment I've owned it. And that's huge. But then it comes down to buying good quality stuff, which we talked about in prior uh, podcasts as well. You know, there's issues with oil filters. There's issues with fuel filters. There's fuel filters that fit but aren't right micron-wise. I was going to ask you about that part is the actual quality of the parts or the maintenance items that people are using. Do you see a lot of issues in the shop where somebody's not using a quality fuel filter, oil filter, air intake filter? I'm sure there's a bunch of other things and that has caused or cascaded into a big repair bill. Very much so. Um, one of the big ones that I remember back and there's a whole bunch. I mean, we could go on for probably days talking about, you know, what has come in and out and, in almost three decades of time, but things that go back and, you know, pop into my head is one of them back in the 12 out days, people used to buy at the time off the auto parts store shelf filters and the Cummins engine is capable of cold, a whole lot of oil pressure. Not uncommon to see some pretty high numbers up there when the oil is cold and thick, you know, approaching like 70 PSI. So, there was two trains of thought with that. There was the guys that were putting on the remote oil filter kits and they were getting zero oil pressure for like two minutes. And that's a lot, you know, that's a lot of problem. But then there were the guys buying the cheapo oil filters from the uh, auto parts store or from Kmart. And we had a couple trucks with um, cooked pistons. And when we took the engines apart, back then we were actually taking the engines apart and trying to find root causes because, you know, it was an engine that was pretty readily available to fix within certain circumstances. And uh, we took it apart and we found oil filter media in the piston cooling jets. Wow. <laughs> and it was a cheap oil filter. The paper media came apart and ended up getting lodged in the cooling jet. And then it wasn't cool in that piston. It would overheat that piston. I could see how that... Uh... That could definitely cascade. And I think, you know, when we look at the price of an oil filter, any of these components, and they're separated by, you know, $10, $5, $20, whatever it is, there's so much quality difference that can be present in the type of media, the construction of it, the fit of it, that I think that's what I really hope listeners can kind of focus in on with it is how it might be, you know, a filter that costs X amount, it can turn into something, you know, vastly more expensive. And so while it's great to save money, you know, in different ways that we can, 
the repair bills on diesel engines are so expensive and just now, even now like the availability of parts and especially you know talking about 12 valves can you still find some of these parts are they easy to find are they really hard to find now like there's a, a kind of a shelf life of you know when you can find oem components and yeah i think just spending a little bit extra and getting oe quality you know type maintenance items would uh, would really go a long way it's true and you, yeah, you're having a harder time finding the stuff that you need. Like, for instance, P-pumps, you're not finding them. If you've got one that needs help, you have to find the right place to send it out and put the truck out of commission for a while to repair it. Now, that's, you know, the parts thing. But then you got to put in, there's the second factor is the human factor. So here I am at the shop. And another thing is you've got a 12 out that comes in and it lost all its oil and the customer destroyed the engine and it turns out that he used the good quality oil filter but he forgot to check that the old oil filter gasket was still stuck up on the filter head when he screwed the new filter on so it was double gasketed he got a little ways down the road and then it puked all the oil out and of course it doesn't throw on the uh, oil pressure light because the oil pressure light is basically an on off switch in that engine so you have to have zero for the light to come on he doesn't know this. And once he knows this, it's too late. It's already done. Wow. See, these are these trucks, like for me, I, I've seen them and, and you know, some of them I, I always kind of toss around in my head, man, it'd be cool to have one of these older trucks. But I wasn't there at the time, you know, working on them and seeing them. So it's so insightful to chat with you about these trucks you worked on at the time. And I'm sure they still come into the shop you know, nowadays. And, you know, it's either the, that original owner who still got it and takes care of it, or it's the guy who just bought one and, you know, is, is heard about you guys and stops in. And yeah, I was thinking about the, the next truck, the, the 98 and a half to O twos and the electronic performance. And I do remember a little bit back then of being able to use some of the electronic um, devices or tuning to be able to crank up the power on them. And something I was really curious about, and it's going to be somewhat common as we progress through the years. Do you see older trucks that have been running, you know, a product that added power to them where they're still reliable, they've still held, held up to two or three or 400,000 miles um, that have run it pretty much the whole time? Um, yes and no. Uh, it depends on the user and what they put into it. The guy that bought the, uh, you know, stage five or six injectors and two tuners and massively big turbo and foot to the floor gauges. I don't need those. You know, my right foot is my gauge. <laughs> my butt is my gauge. That's I, I've heard all sorts of excuses from people as to, you know, why not do it this way versus that. And then that same guy is the first guy to throw a fit when he went and drag raced his truck all day, had a problem. And then, you know, he's like, oh, I can't believe this happened. You know, these are supposed to be very strong engines. Well, they are, sir. However, within reason. So, you know, there's this 80-20 rule where 80% versus 20% in power or reliability go hand in hand. And he violated every one of them. And then when he did so... He is now a member of the motorsports community, not a daily driver. Though he doesn't know it or agree with it, he's already inducted into the Motorsports Hall of Fame for destroying an engine that, you know, approaches 
the $20,000 mark to replace between parts and labor. And then you get the, well, it was only a $6,000 option. And then you have to have the argument of, well, you understand that that's a $6,000 option over the gas engine that's already built into the price of the truck. So it's really a $12,000 plus option the day the truck was built. Yeah. Yeah. That's, it, it, it's this real slippery slope with them where, especially in those older five nines where the perception, if, if you don't own a diesel truck, you haven't been around it for a while and you're interested you think I'm, I want to get one. I want to have some fun with it. What's the most reliable? And you type into Google, most reliable diesel pickup truck engine. You're, you're going to see Cummins or sometimes a 7.3, but we're talking about Cummins today. You're going to see that. And then you think that it's it's a license to just add as much power as you want or be able to use it extremely hard. And some people do it. And I think it would definitely take a, you know, a plan and being able to monitor things. But again, when we're looking on the secondary market and we find this 99 or 2001 or 2002, 59, we may not know how it was treated the last 20 some years. Um, if it's, you know, had, uh, had work done or, or different things like that. But I think it's incredibly important, like you mentioned, to stop and think, okay, how much power am I adding? How can I monitor what I'm doing to be able to avoid that big repair bill with an engine that uh, they potentially could have to invest the money in? Yeah. Yeah, you can you can buy something that sounds okay and looks okay. And then, you know, you start to know that what was the history of the vehicle is the biggest thing. Did that guy pull a giant trailer the entire life of the truck? And if so, was the engine lugging or was he a nice guy and take it out of overdrive and keep the RPMs up, not put stress on the thrust bearings on the engine like you you can get from when you beat the living snot out of a truck hauling a heavy trailer for a long time. <clears throat> so there's that. Then there's the maintenance, you know, simple things. Look at the oil filter that's on it. Is it a reasonably good one or is it like a service champ oil filter from you know, some cheap oil parts store. Um, where's the oil level? How does it start out cold? Does the engine start up nice or does it do some stupid things like spit out a little bit of white smoke on a 65 degree day when the engine has sat overnight? And how's that going to translate into what if it's a 30 degree day when it's even colder? And if you've got a compression issue that's there, it's going to show its face even more when it gets colder. So let's say if it doesn't start right on a 65 degree day, you're going to be in pure hell on a day that it's cold. Yeah. And some parts of this country get pretty darn cold. <laughs> Are there some issues? Is when I think of VP trucks, I think of the fuel injection pump and it, you know, the conversations and articles and forum posts that go back 20 years about the issues with them. Is there a common mistake people make when they've had the VP 44 go out and they don't make the right choice. So they don't you know, choose the right upgrade or they don't address the repair correctly. And then it keeps happening and happening and happening. Like, is there something they can do if they've had the failure to avoid one in the future with it? Well, um, the first thing that comes to mind is the homeowner with, a you know, rudimentary set of tools in his toolbox following a YouTube video, replacing the VP 44. I have seen countless times that same end user crush the Woodruff key by not getting the pump installed correctly and using the uh, nut 
to drive the injection pump gear onto it instead of getting the alignment correct. And then you got an engine that continues to have, you know, a zero to one six timing code because it's not right. And on top of it, since you got a hardened gear and a hardened Woodruff key, you've got two items that are playing the battle of wits and both of them have to fail in some way for that gear to be driven onto the shaft. So you got a gear that has to be replaced. Sometimes people can get a pump into it, but it's not quite right. Um, when they try and fix it, you know, the second time or the third time, and they keep having problems. And uh, then there's there's built-in problems that happen, like the dowel pin, which can drop in. And that's yet another battle of will between two hardened components where something's got to give and usually does. And that's something people can't see. So that's something that they have to take a, uh, you know, a proactive approach to and say, I'm going to bring it to a shop and have it have it looked at and see if we can tell if it was done or not. Yeah. How much does doing a, a lift pump play into keeping, let's assume the installs done correctly on the new injection pump. Are those extremely key in keeping the pump happy and you know, giving it a long service life? Very much so. Um, we in 98, 99, when the, when the 24 valve engine first came out, we immediately started to see issues with the engine mounted lift pump. And back then we were doing something that was yet to be done. We were taking the bracket off the side of the engine and actually placing it on the frame and rerouting the electrical wire lengthening it and using that pump as a pusher instead of a puller. And those trucks that we did that to initially, this is before any company was doing fuel system work that we know of, you know, this was the, the dark ages, the internet was early and we were doing our thing and customers were having that service done. And those trucks lasted without a VP 44 failure with that little transfer pump that really wasn't much of anything, but it was so much better pushing versus pulling. I can see how now with all the choices that are out there for, you know, quality lift pump kits, it's, it almost seems like it would go hand in hand. Like if I had one of those trucks and had a failure and, you know, took it to the shop, it was replaced. I would just add that on there, not just for that reason, but then also the filtration and some of the other benefits that they, that they offer. But I think that's the big part that people focus on with that year range is right about the injection pump. What do I do? How do I fix it once? Cause I've read stories of it people doing it four or five, six times, and then they get frustrated and sell the truck and get rid of it. And yes. then other guys, they don't have any issues with it <clears throat> after the initial repair. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about the difference be, you know, between the two of them. Now with the, the 2003s, <clears throat> the 2007s, that to me is probably because of my age and when I got into this, it really got into diesel performance. It was like the golden era for me because you could take this smarty, was it an SO3? I think it was, or SO6. I don't remember, but you can get this smarty crank out 170, 200 horsepower, whatever it was. Yeah. You know, you're going to need a transmission, but there was so much you could get electronically with them and be able to have some fun, get some extra power with it. What do you see any trucks from the, say an original owner or maybe the second owner, something like that, where they've, you know, just tuned it. Maybe they've had to replace the transmission over the years, but it's just something they drive, have a little bit extra power with, and they hold up great to the power. Um, or do they hold up maybe not as well once we get into the 
kind of the golden era of tuning and cranking power with just a button. They hold up pretty well, but then again, you got to throw into, you know, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. <laughs> so, you know, dialing the tuner up to, you know, to, to level 2000 and every subsetting all there and then saying, well, you know, gauges are expensive. I don't need those. You know, I know my truck is running good. And then you had the people that bought the, uh, the smarties that you had to actually, you know, put in, uh, what's that? The user defined catcher. Oh yeah. The UDC. And it was like, when you started having that ability to do that, that's when you saw the real fun stuff, like take an exhaust manifold off and see silver powder in the exhaust ports because they've been running way too hot, way too much uh, duration or too early of a timing. And it, you know, it's starting, that's, that silver is, that's piston. And uh, you saw a stupid thing. So again, it's like, you know, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. Don't put gauges on it. You don't care. Well, it, I know it's, I know it's still running. That's all I need to know. And then he's the first guy waiting to get into the drag strip every Saturday morning and the last guy to leave. And then when he has a problem, after he's not listened to the world, he's the loudest one complaining too. Do you see a lot of trucks that don't have gauges or, you know, electronic uh, monitor nowadays? Is it something that's pretty common with not necessarily, it's like a bone stock truck, but you know, where they've got some bolt on upgrades, a tune, things like that. I do see a lot more than I used to. The 12 valve guys, those guys were like airline pilots. They had to know what was going on with everything. Because <laughs> they were, it was a different crowd then. They were older guys that were used to having something mechanical. They grew up with cars that had a mechanical fuel pump on them. You know, they, they had to know what was going on when the gremlins were playing. <clears throat> when you went to a computer controlled engine, it was also a newer generation of people. The older guys really didn't like that and tried to stay away from it. But once you got a computer controlled engine, everybody just took the idea and the premise of computers. Okay. With it. I'm okay with it. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I think of the computers on new trucks now and they're, you're going to know this better than me, but they're just, my perception is they pick up on things really quick, whether it's related to emissions or just different things. But Looking back 20 years, were they? Or would they just alert you when, like you had mentioned that example of the, uh, is it the oil pressure on a 12 valve where it doesn't tell you there's a problem till it's at zero? Well, Correct. it's too late then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think those trucks are still popular now. I mean, I, I see them for sale, and if they have lower mileage, they're going for a nice price. And there's this perception that if you want to, you want to have the simplest, newest truck, and, and this perception is probably right. You need to look to a 2003 to 2007, you know, truck, and we're talking about Cummins, so we're looking at a 5.9. And I think that sheds a lot of light on, at that time, what was available, what somebody could have done, you know, with tuning or how they treated it. And here, 20 years later, you're looking at buying it. Things you need to take into account to, you know, keep it reliable and avoid an engine build or, or something else. There's just, there's so many unknowns because the technology was exploding at that time. I was still a little bit young to really know all of it. I'm sure you do because you were seeing it every day, but tuning and transmission upgrades and turbos and manifolds and intercoolers and all the things that were available. It's just like, to me, that's when diesel performance 
I think really expanded more into the, the average truck owner's life um, because of just all the innovation that was available and a lot of brands that, you know, came into existence during that time. Yes. We went from the 12 valve days of, you know, getting a truck that's pretty, pretty hot as a daily driver and being able to run it down the strip and turn 16s or 15s to plugging something in and running 14s at the track with not a whole lot of time and energy put into it. And that opened the door to failures that were not yet heard of. And then coupled with. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You know, find a truck <laughs> that got sold and, you know, a younger kid, unfortunately, had now the ability to buy it, but doesn't have the ability to actually take care of it the right way down the road in the event of a big repair. So, you know, you've got, like anything, it, it, it's not just limited to the diesel truck market. It's any kind of vehicle that was once expensive, whether it be a performance car or a diesel truck or something. When it's sold on the secondary market for not so much and a relatively new driver convinces mommy and daddy or both that he needs that, it's going to be so cool for him. And then when bad things happen, he's the first one that can't make the repair or skimped on certain, you know, logical maintenance items. And then you have bad things happen to the engine. And you've got a general perception that comes across as to, you know, well, these are just really no good. I mean, look, that's that's how the Dodge transmission myth happened with the 12 valves is you know you had a bunch of stupid failures that happened and suddenly it's like these transmissions are junk but it was a proven transmission that had been out for almost 30 years by then but you were putting ridiculous amounts of torque through it and big torque converters and it's an overdrive transmission and you know eventually something's got to give because you're only doing half the job i was just thinking of something when i um, one of my friends recently, he, he needed a, a new diesel truck and he's always had Cummins trucks and he said, Hey man, I know you do this podcast and stuff. You talk with a bunch of people, you know, which, which new one do they, do they tend to go with? And I said, honestly, what I hear a lot of people talk about are the Ford power strokes. And I think they buy it for the package and the transmission and they love to tow with it. Who's going to tow? And he goes, I can't do it. I'm a Cummins guy. I, I love the truck, but I, I want a Cummins engine. And I was thinking about, I think the greatest marketing side of Cummins is the reliability of it, not just in pickup trucks, but in all the engines they build. That's what they're known all over the world for. And it gives this perception to the truck owner that I have the most reliable, robust, longest lasting diesel engine I can get in a pickup truck. So I can just do a ton of things to it and I don't have to worry about it. And then that leads into, you know, I think of, trucks I've seen in the shop 
a lot of the times it were they were five nine common rails where the guys ordered a big set of injectors, got really aggressive with the tuning, a big single charger compounds. They knew they had to do a transmission, and then it's in there because it melted a piston or something like that. And it was just, I think, this perception that they're invincible, they don't break, um, I can do whatever I want to it and don't have to worry. And that's not what I, it's not what I hear from shop owners. It's, I'm sure, not what you guys see. I don't know which one, which truck you guys work the most on there, but I'm sure there's a steady, a steady supply of five, nine, six, sevens, you know, Cummins engines that are there. And it's probably because of that, the benefit of why people buy a Cummins, because it's a Cummins. But then, I don't want to say being overconfident in it, but just thinking it can handle more than it needs to handle. Like you brought up with the 47s and 48 REs, even 68 RFEs. I just did an episode recently. A guy was telling me he got two or 300,000 miles on a stock 68. That's not the perception that you read on social media or forums or anything, but those guys aren't just driving them stock and you know, they're, they're tuned. They've got different turbos on there. You know, put the torque up to 1400, 1500 foot pounds, whatever they're doing with it. So, of course, it didn't last. They had to do a built unit. Yeah, and even some of them don't last in the end because, <laughs> you know, and the, and the other thing is, I don't like to make this a generalization, but I mean, none of us have customers that lie to us, right? <laughs> you know, what were you doing when this broke? I was just driving it down to get a coffee. Meanwhile, a month later, somebody comes into the shop. You wouldn't believe what I saw this guy doing with this truck. I was like, ah, oh, that was the coffee run. <laughs> or you see the, uh, like the YouTube videos of the, you know, the, the drag strip passes or, or, or something else. I think that's, that's what I'm gathering. So, you know, so far, regardless of the engines we've covered is you got to stay on your maintenance. You got to make sure you're using quality components. Um, you've got to make sure that you're, monitoring them, especially on the older trucks. And, you know, the generation now that might be buying a 12 valve or VP truck, they're totally different than the guy who bought them new and totally different than the second owner as well. So they may not know this stuff. Like to me, I think, I think the gauges for me were mechanical gauges. I like the look of them, but the monitors had just hit the market. So it was really cool to see this touch screen that I could just look at. So what is somebody 20 years younger than me or 15 years younger than me? They're going to probably gravitate towards that. So I think them being able to understand, hey, you know, monitor this stuff and, and just understand, well, you have a great engine. There are some weak points in it and, you know, put a plan together for it. You talk to somebody who's been doing this for a really long time and ask them, you know, can I run these size injectors with my stock turbo and this tuner I have on or am I going to run into issues? I'm sure you've probably seen that a lot that was something big i remember <laughs> back in the days when i would go on cummins forum or other things was you know run this set of injectors with this stock charger you'll be fine i was fine and then vgt's are hitting 16 1700 degrees yeah and they can't they, they're not getting an idea of what's really going on when the gremlins are playing and even some of the monitors the egt you see on screen is that was seconds ago reality is you know What's going on now is much hotter than that, but it's it takes a while for the thermocouple to get to the temperature to transmit to the screen. It's not an instantaneous thing. So it's real easy to melt a piston and look like you were playing in the right ballpark. I mean, I put, just for fun on my 12 valve back in the day, I put electronic autometer professional gauges, especially a professional pyro. And I mean, 
you could sit there and stab the throttle in the parking lot and the gauge would go like a tachometer. And uh, that was a like big eye opener to me because when you just had a regular, a regular mechanical thermocouple connected to a gauge, you wouldn't see it do that because it, it didn't have that ability to read and sample that fast. So yeah, you can hurt something big time. And the, the TV screen inside the truck is so nice with the electronic, you know, now tuning device and gauge device all in one. It is so nice as far as what you get. But in the end, some of it is still sampling off of vehicle sensors. And then you're adding a thermocouple to it <clears throat> and or a fuel pressure gauge separately to it and or a transmission temperature gauge if you want to put one in the pan separately to it. But um, the older crowd came from a bunch of people who learned how to drive, and I'm getting to a point with this one, on a manual transmission. Now, I'm sure you have sat in the vehicle and driven a manual transmission. And when you do, you are so in tune with everything with the vehicle. Yeah, It's not like when you throw an automatic into drive and just say, okay, this is where it stays and hit the pedal. When you're driving a manual, you know everything that's going on with it because you it's like an extension of you. So the crowd that grew up only driving manual trannies, they were the ones that wanted to know everything that they couldn't feel that was going on in that engine. And those guys were drivers. They were operators. Nowadays, you know, unfortunately, it's easier to get a driver's license. It's easier to do a lot of things, but it also takes a lot of the experience from that the people that were connected to the vehicle away from it and the further you get away from it including these electronic devices the easier it is for something to go sideways on you very quickly without you noticing it that's really the heart of i think of, of like of this conversation where i really wanted it to go because you saw the 12 valves you saw the vp trucks you saw the early common rails I didn't get to grow up, you know, in, I wasn't in a position really towards the tail end of that to be able to buy one of them. So now I'm fast forwarding 15, 16 years and there are younger people. They love diesel trucks. They love the idea of them. They, they'll, they'll, they'll work hard. They'll save for them. They'll do these things. And I want them to be able to enjoy those trucks the way the people that bought them new or, you know, just, you know, just after they were out could enjoy them. And I didn't want to just glance over that whole topic because I've seen that myself. If I talk to somebody who's a bit older and is a diesel enthusiast, they'll talk to me about where their EGTs are at on this particular grade that they go up when they tow their trailer to the lake. They know exactly what it's doing. They want to see, um, you know, what kind of temperatures are getting in their differentials and all these different things. They're very in tune with the truck. And I think just, uh, kind of the way the times are now is, you know, you sit in a 2022, 2023 truck, it's going to tell you a lot of things. You're going to be able to see it. Um, you'd be able to scroll through it. It's going to warn you, but you go back to that 2003 or that 2659, that is your dream truck. It's not the same. And, and hopefully understanding that you don't have a truck that turns into you know, one of those nightmares where you're happy, you get something, you go have fun with it. And then a shop's telling you, I need 15 or 20 grand to fix it because we got to get a whole new long block. Um, so I think that's that's where your experience is really is really key in this. And I know this this next one, the next year range we hit, 
it gets vastly more complex because I think of the emission systems. It does. It does. And then the stupidity that comes along with it also gets a little more complex and stirs the pot a whole lot further. Yeah. And that's, I think maybe now as a community or an industry, it's getting better. I, I, I think I've heard that people are talking about data more and talking about testing and talking about understanding, like diagnosing the issues. Whereas before it was, you know, take it off, do this, go about your way. You know, everything's fine. That doesn't exist in the mainstream anymore. And I don't even really know where to start with six sevens. Cause I think of them as almost four, maybe distinct kind of generations. You got the early ones, which I think the consensus is, the emission systems on them weren't that great. Um, I know I had, a, I had a lot of issues with mine, brand new, like stock under 10,000 miles. I think they got a little bit better in the four gens. And then you go, yeah, DF fluid and then, you know, the injection pumps change. But what what are some things that people, if they don't own one of these, or maybe they do, they need to stop doing to create problems with the, with with a 6.7? Is it still the maintenance? Is it is it how they're driven? What would you say they need to stop doing, change it to keep their truck more reliable? Maintenance is paramount. That's, a, that's, that's like building a house. You know, you, you start with the foundation. So the foundation to any good thing is maintenance. Then you move on to where are you buying your fuel and how. And some of the things with the early trucks coincided with an event that happened in the diesel industry altogether is we got ultra low sulfur diesel. So the early trucks came around right at right after the switchover, but you had still off-road fuel that was high sulfur. And some of these guys would have in a construction company where they're running their construction vehicles on red fuel and they were just filling their new emissions on engine with red fuel. And we were starting to see early DPF failures. So yes, fuel can play a part. And then how they drive it, how they idle it. You know, the, the, the guy thinking he's a semi-driver at a truck stop running the truck all night while he takes a nap is no longer a good thing because they have to be driving in order to keep the exhaust temperatures where they need to be to keep a happy after-treatment system going. So it's a matter of maintenance, driver error, and then knowing what the vehicle should and should not be doing. And then you got, you know, those things were ambulances and fire trucks, too, where they're constantly idling. So service intervals are way more critical at that point. Proactively changing out the exhaust after treatment system halfway through its shelf life because it has been abused. Um, then there was the ridiculousness that came from the aftermarket, which you know, which was the uh, foundation for selling massive amounts of transmissions and turbochargers and engines and everything that came along with it. And then, it, you know, it, it went from being a professional to being a guy who comes out of his house, picks up that UPS package, runs to the truck and does a download. And it became even more critical because then he'd have the ability back in those days to do things that you can't do and turn off certain things and drive it around like a lunatic. More things happened. Yeah. Yeah. There, I just thought of a, a comment that we had gotten, I think it was on YouTube recently about six sevens. And I wanted to ask you if you see in the shop a lot and that's head gasket failures. 
Do you see them more on six sevens? And if so, is there a particular year range you see them? Versus say the five nines, any of the, the different engine types, is it more common? Uh, yes, it is. And I can tell you that from what I have seen, now, there are people out there that will disagree with me, and they're welcome to do so, but I go by statistics and facts and figures. <clears throat> I see the trucks that use the built-in, quote-unquote, exhaust brake religiously, and they use it loaded, empty, doesn't matter. They think they're driving a Peterbilt, and those trucks see a whole lot more head gasket failures than those that rarely touch it and like anything exhaust back pressure is huge egts are huge with any kind of head gasket failure that goes all the way back to the 12 valves you know egts were where head gaskets failed me and pierce harry from bd were doing head gaskets on a pretty much you know twice a year basis on our vehicles because <clears throat> we were dealing with, you know, high EGTs and we were driving the trucks for fun and we knew we were having fun with the trucks. We knew we were violating what they were meant to be done with. But, you know, at the same token, the vehicle does have the ability for the human in it to still create a problem. Do the, now with the head gasket failures, do you see them on stock trucks? On six yes, sevens? Absolutely. Is it, is I think the comment I'm trying I, I didn't pull it up on the screen but I think it was something that the it was just the early ones that had it and it was just when they were tuned but they're it's not really a problem on the later ones which went a bit against what I just hear from people um, like fourth gens fifth gens do you do you see failures on stock or relatively stock trucks um, with head gaskets as well Yes I continue to still see it Okay do you think what's the best way to avoid that i know that's it's probably like a loaded question because there's the driver there's you know all these different factors to it but is there a way to avoid it or not avoid it because i don't think that creates certainty that you can but just maybe lower the probability you have a head gasket failure um well the biggest thing is is you've got to be able to know what's happening. It takes a while for something to not be right before a check engine light goes on. You look at certain codes in the diagnostic trees and you look at what it takes to set that code. And on some of them, it's pretty ridiculous with especially turbocharger actuators and stuff. The problem has to be present for a certain amount of cycles and time before it triggers a light. And then there's the bunch of guys that drive around with the light on and say, well, you know, there's something wrong with the exhaust system. And that's why the light's on. But meanwhile, they don't know that other things have joined the, the party since then. <clears throat> so, you know, any kind of maintenance is paramount, including diagnostic maintenance when you have a light come on. I mean, it's on there for a reason. Yes. And nine times out of 10, it is emissions related because anything, including a wrong transmission gear, can now be a, an emissions related code because emissions is that tight. So you got to stay on to, you know, how well you're monitoring what's going on with it. Are you driving around with that light on for a long time? It's there for a reason. Um, diagnostics is not cheap. People try to avoid it, especially during hard times, which, you know, we're, we're in a tough time in the country right now. A lot of people put off a lot of things. Um, and yet then there's failures that just happen. You know, because you can't 
stop something from failing. If it was built by man or by a machine that was built by man, it can and will go bad. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's been really helpful to to look back at these these year ranges and be able to understand things that people do wrong so we can we can avoid them. And there's so many different branches. This could be like a 10-hour podcast of Sure. What do you do? What do you do with the transmission? How do you build that? How do you, you know, all these different parts. But I think um, with the interest that I detect with people wanting to, they don't want the $118,000 limited dually 3,500 anymore, or they, they want something simpler. Um, they don't want the payment. So they look back towards the older trucks and I find they go immediately to 2007 and older. And then they get into that question of, do I want the common rail for the benefits of it? I do want to still have some fun. I, I want to be able to take it to the drag strip, but I also want to daily drive it. Or they look even farther back and say, I've always wanted a 12 valve. I want that mechanical engine. I want the simplicity of it. And giving them an idea of what you got to pay attention to and, and look out for, because uh, nothing's worse, I, I think, than somebody who's excited about a truck something they've always wanted and then it turns into this nightmare i've seen it myself i'm sure you've seen it a ton of times with people and it's never fun to deliver that news or be told that news <laughs> that uh you just got your your dream truck and hey i need x amount because the engine's shot no i had to give that news to somebody within the past year he rolled in with it and he's like you know oh there there's something going on with it and something wasn't right and i took his oil cap off and it was like a choo-choo train and i was like yeah something's really not right but it's not what you want me to start going after you are done with this engine you've got a a, a ridiculous amount of, of blow by you got something going on that's gonna need a whole lot more dollars than just you know let me put a fuel system on this truck and fix what's going on with how it starts he's having a starting problem because of compression not because of fuel would you, if you had to give somebody three tips that they're going to go out this, this week or this weekend, and they're going to look at an older truck, could be any of them. Well, I might have to separate the six, seven stuff, but say they're going to look at a five, nine, any of the years, what would be three quick things somebody could do, whether they go to somebody's, you know, it's a private sale, they go to their house or something they're looking at on a lot to maybe be clued in that they might have a problem that's going to be more than just, I got to do maintenance or replace a filter. Well, I'll tell you, um, this, this is stuff that was taught to me day one by my mentor. And he told me straightforward, if you go to look for a diesel used, the first thing you want to do is make sure that that engine has been sitting since the night before. You want to know what it's like on a cold start. Huge, huge. Look at the ground under it. Does the truck, you know, have a shadow of oil underneath it where it's been sitting? Because if it's dripping oil, that means it still has oil in it. Yes, but <laughs> there's other things going on. Um, and then, you know, silly things like ask the customer if he's got a list of maintenance. Some When people have a vehicle that is capable of being maintained to a certain degree, some people actually are nuts enough to have a paper notebook that goes back to every single service they ever did. And some guys are so nuts as to actually list the mileage and every time they filled the fuel tank. And believe me, I've got more people than not that still do that in my customer base of loyal customers that have been with me all the way back to the early days. 
that would so, be yeah, the, the, the more knowledge you have the better but if you're going to play stupid games expect to have stupid problems <laughs> see that would be a truck i would that i would want to buy from a guy like that that had all the details because i know he's followed it to a t um before i let you go though with the six sevens is it very similar or because i when i think of six sevens i think of electronic controls i think of a computer that picks up on things if i go and look at a truck i'm going to see a check engine light can it you know is it stuck in fail safe mode what what are some things to look for on six sevens six sevens um because of how complex they are the truck up and look at take the oil cap off and look at if it's having a problem with blow by it's going to be having a, a a compression problem and or more things going on um smell the fuel does it smell old you know s stick your nose into the uh the fuel tank filler neck uh some of the newer trucks don't have a cap it's capless so you can you know just take something and push that little cap open and sniff in there look at the oil yeah does the oil look good i mean it's going to look black no matter what even if it just had an oil change done but suppose you know it's it's it looks milky you know look at the air filter has that been done recently look at the intercooler pipes do do the boots look like they have an oil residue around them because the turbo's starting to push oil uh simple thing look at the rear main seal go underneath the vehicle look at where the transmission bolts up to the engine look there and see if there's a drip of oil hanging from there look at exhaust manifold bolts are any of them broken off or missing is there exhaust soot around them look at the tailpipe on a modern truck that uses def you should be able to stick a white glove into that tailpipe and pull it out white is there soot there if there is you're going to have a DPF problem going on. That's a lot of great information. It's helpful too to be able to to have these something quick that we can do because we're kind of under pressure when we're there. There's either the the owner or a salesman are there, and we just gotta you know be able to take a look and quickly see what we're facing. But I appreciate you sitting down with me and you know kind of taking me back to the old days to help educate any newer owners. You know, people are going to buy these trucks. And understanding what we need to do or really stop doing, which is ignoring data from the truck, ignoring maintenance, ignoring you know, what what type of parts, quality parts we're using, and uh, be able to make these trucks last as long as we want them to and as long as they can. So it was really helpful to, to be able to chat with you and learn, and I appreciate you talking with us. Absolutely. And remember, when you hear a noise, don't turn the radio up to make it go away. Do something about it. That's my closing remark. That's the best thing I could tell you. Don't forget, Diesel fans, make sure and head on over to Kershaw.kaiusa.com. Use code 23diesel20 for 20% off site-wide. It's a great way to save some money, get some really cool gear. So if you're in the market for a knife or EDC or hunting, fishing, anything like that, they've definitely got you covered. This year they've had a bunch of new releases, and their latest is the Duralock models, which it's a, it's a folding knife that... The mechanism and the feel of it is super smooth. Keeps your blade, your, your your fingers away from the blade when you open and close it. Plus, the blade's made out of D2 steel, which is really nice. So we appreciate them offering that discount code for you. If you're in the market, head on over. Use code 23diesel20. Get 20% off site wide.
I also want to give a shout out to some of our Patreon supporters, Tyler Lowe and a 23 Diesel, J. Cole John, all of our other Patreons, all of you who subscribe on YouTube podcast apps or on our Discord, follow us on social media. We appreciate your support here in year seven of the Diesel Podcast and look forward to bringing you more of the content you want to hear in 2023. Until next time, keep the shiny side up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.